Open your Bible, if you would, to Revelation chapter 14. I didn't get the privilege to meet you on the way in. My name is Ken DeLay, serve as the lead pastor here, and it is a joy to get to study God's Word with you. We are in a series moving through the book of Revelation chapter by chapter and uh, taking a little bit longer, actually, as we get through uh, chapter 14. Well, some of you may have heard this from me before. If you haven't, it's probably something that you should know about your pastor. A few years ago, I was going to a conference in Florida, flying down to be part of a meeting that I thought was important. So I got my airplane tickets a few months in advance. I packed my bags a few days in advance, and I left the house a few hours in advance so that I could get there with plenty of time. I left with plenty of time. I drove to Reagan Airport, and as I usually do on my way to the airport, I'm kind of checking the time, making sure everything's good, everything was fine, almost there with plenty of time. And then, then I had this thought. Have you ever had one of these thoughts that hits you sort of like a thought and sort of like a dreadful feeling in your stomach at the same time? And the thought was simple. It was just, am I flying out of Reagan? <laughs> Turns out, an easy way to get to your plane on time is to drive to the right airport. Uh, so I turned quickly and made my way over to Dulles, which is not next door to Reagan. Um, and just so you know, if you ever experience this, if you plan to be on time for Reagan and go there, you will not be on time for Dulles. You don't have to worry. You don't have to rush. You don't have to try. Okay? Uh, you will miss that plane. There it goes. <laughs> I missed my flight. I missed my meeting. I still miss my dignity. Uh, this... Uh, by the way, has nothing, uh, no, no bad uh, reference on my uh, admin assistant, Ivy. Uh, this is why we have Ivy now. Uh, she didn't work here back then. Um, in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we are in the middle of hearing a proclamation made by three consecutive angels. Three angels come and they, they make proclamations to the world before the second coming of Christ. And this is kind of similar to how angels came and proclaimed the first coming of Christ. And all three of these angels, while they each have their own distinct message for the world, each of them is, as it were, a final boarding call for a plane. Last call for the plane to Orlando. I missed that last call. And there were consequences that day, monetary consequences, time consequences, missed the meeting consequences, but relatively small. Consequences here have such an eternal gravity to them. It's even hard to speak. There are consequences to missing this final call. Last week, we actually studied the the voice of the angels, the first and the second angel, and what they pronounced to the earth. And this morning, we're going to consider the third angel who begins speaking in verse 9. 
their voice is a last call, a, a final warning. And to be clear up front, it's a final warning letting the world know that, that hell is mere moments away. It is on the threshold. It's a warning call to the world and to the church. It is a call to cling to Christ, our only hope and our only Savior, as that fierce and final day approaches. So we're going to be really looking at verses 9 through 11, but let's start up in verse 6 so that we can see the or hear the call of all three angels and we can consider the third one in context. So Revelation 14, beginning in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name here is a call for the endurance of the saints those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus and Lord we pray now that you would grant your spirit we would have ears to hear your word and be transformed by it. To your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With a loud voice, so that all may hear, the third angel speaks. He is addressing the wicked. He speaks to those, quote, who worship the beast and its image, and receive a mark on his forehead or on his hand. This refers back to the beast that we learned about in chapter 13. This is that spiritual power in league with the devil. That demonic force behind all false religion on earth. That would set up images to worship instead of worshiping the one true and living God. This is the spiritual power that gives power to false religion that binds men and women in their false beliefs that speaks lies and deceives humanity into worshiping what is not God countless millions indeed billions under the demonic reign of this beast worshiping 
what is not God. Worshiping idols. Be they little, you know, tiny golden statues in the east or idols of power and security and comfort and health in the west. And all the world outside of Christ is led astray by their own hatred of God and by this demonic force that hates them. And this demonic power imprints a mark of ownership upon all people outside of Christ. It is, as it says here, a mark on the hand or the forehead. This is not a physical mark. This is a branding, a spiritual branding visible from heaven above and from hell below saying that one belongs to the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of darkness to the beast it says if anyone worships the beast we talked about the beast for a moment the power of the beast the deceptive nature of the beast his ability to deceive the nation and yet it says if anyone worships that beast. And let's be clear that worship is a voluntary act. You can't coerce worship. You can coerce action. You could coerce words. You cannot coerce worship. Worship is a, a voluntary act. In other words, even though the beast is deceptive and powerful, even though the devil is the liar and the father of lies, still humanity is culpable for its worship of anything other than God. All people run from God. Without exception, all people turn away. This is the, this is the teaching of all of Scripture. We just heard it actually this morning in Psalm 14. The nations say there is no God. All have turned away from Him. So, so as we read this, it is important for us to understand that, that the angel is speaking to everyone outside of Christ. He's not speaking to some subset of people who worshipped one particular idol in the end times. He's speaking to all people who have worshipped idols at any time and are therefore not in the kingdom of God, but are rebels against God. The angel statement is an if-then statement. It doesn't actually have the word then, but it's kind of assumed. If, if anyone worships the beast. If, anything, if anyone worships the beast and its image receives its mark for their hand, we could insert the word then right before verse 10. If anyone worships the beast, if anyone bows to idols, if anyone is branded by the demonic powers of this age, if anyone refuses to turn to God, hardens their heart in their sin, insists on their way, not God's way, and refuses to turn, if anyone, if anyone, then, verse 10, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. The wine of God's wrath. We saw a very similar wine in verse 8 last week. Babylon mixed this wine of wrath that she served out to the nation. 
God in his justice has decreed that all who gladly drank the wine of her wrath will also drink the wine of his wrath. The wine of Babylon who hated God will be, there will be a new wine given to those who drank it. It is the wine of God's wrath, verse 10, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. It is full strength. There was a practice in Roman households. This makes sense to us immediately. They drank wine, right? And so they would get the wine, and what they would do is they would cut the wine with water so that it would last longer, right? Wine was actually, it was hard to get healthy, clean water like we have access to today. So wine was considered healthier. So they'd take the wine, they'd cut it with water so that, you know, you didn't have as much money, but you could have more wine that way diluted. That's the reference here, that the wine of God's wrath will be poured full strength. It is undiluted. It is uncut. It is undiminished. And it will be poured, it says, into the cup of his anger. And here we come face to face with the eternal reality. God's response to sin is anger. Deep, divine displeasure. Fury. It is kindled by sin and it is directed at the sinner. At the one who willingly, knowingly, repeatedly purposefully commits sin. The cup of God's anger is, is God's right response to humanity's evil action. It's his right response to abuse. It's his right response to injustice. It's his right response to cruelty. It's his right response to the worship of idols to the dishonoring of God, to the shaking of the fist towards heaven. Against these, God is eternally, implacably, rightly, and totally opposed. Angry. Woe unto the one who falls into the hands of the omnipotent God when he is angry. And I'm, I fear what happens today and may happen to some in this room that we mistake what we see today. What we see today of God's patience. What we see today of God's long-suffering. What we see today of God delaying judgment. What we see today of God extending mercy week after week after week after week. We mistake that as though God is not angry at sin. And nothing could be more further from the truth or more dangerous to believe. 
Verse 10 continues. Tell us, tells us what the inside of that cup looks like. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Tormented with fire and sulfur. There is a unique pain to fire. A unique pain. Sulfur has a burning, noxious, nauseating, overwhelming, acidic kind of feel as it goes into the lungs. Painful. Now, this is a picture first of inner torment, the torment of the soul. Not merely physical, it is torment of the soul. If you were to look around today, you could see people who have a tormented soul. We have names for these things that we see. You could start with things like depression on the low end of anxiety, terror, shame, guilt, isolation, loneliness. Grief, hopelessness, despair, shadows of what's in that cup. They're all in that cup. But the body is not excluded from this either. Those condemned to such punishment will first be resurrected so that they may in their body receive the punishment for sins committed in their body. And in this, God is just to punish those who committed sin, body and soul, by punishing them, body and soul. And it says that this will happen in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The angels who have long stood by and have borne witness to sinful humanities stealing glory from their Creator, rebelling against their God, against His holiness. And they will stand by in silent ascent. And the Lamb, Christ Himself, who is the judge of all the earth, the living and the dead, will also stand by as He observes the judgment that He Himself authorized. Verse 10 is fearful. Verse 11 is worse. Verse 11. And... The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. 
and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. The angel warns that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. He's giving this warning of what's about to begin. What is about to commence. The start is right there. It is, it, they're at the threshold of this, begin, of this beginning. And he warns that what is about to start will never stop. What is about to begin will never end. There is no end to the torment of the wicked. There's no hope of death. There's no relief through annihilation. There is no end, no stop, no completion. Minute upon minute. Hour after hour. Day leading to night. Leading to day. Leading to night. Month after month. The smoke of their torment goes up year after year century after century and after eons eons so long that the mountains will have been worn to plains by the river eons so long that those stalactites will have grown to fill every cave. Stars yet born will be born and burn and go cold. After millennia, so many millennia that we would tire of the counting of them. After all that, still, it will be as if it's just beginning. For they will be no closer to the end than when they first began. It is a kind of agony to even draw near and consider this agony. It's so fearsome we would draw back. Can't get near. Can't look. We want, we want to forget. <laughs> we can't, friends, this is God's word. We can't, no matter how heavy it is, we can't draw back. We must not forget. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. So what is it then, consider with me, what is it that makes this so hard for us to believe? What makes it so hard for us to believe? I think one might be, at our best, pity on the wicked. 
pity, the desire for mercy upon sinners. Friend, that is a good desire. That's a, a God-honoring and God-given desire. But we must also acknowledge it is not pity to hide from the wicked what is the fate of the wicked. It is not pity to smooth clear their path to hell and to speak only words that don't disturb their peace and comfort on their journey to this. That is not pity. That, friend, can be nothing but hatred to know this is coming and to not speak of it. And to speak of it, we must believe it and know it. Why is this so hard to believe? Perhaps the second, because if I believed this, I would need to take evangelism way more seriously. Indeed. So, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Let us not judge your word, but be changed by your word. What makes this so hard to believe? Well, perhaps it's this. Perhaps that the eternal punishment of the wicked strikes us as unjust. I think a lot of folks, at least we start here. Or at least that the, the punishment is not fitting the crime. What if, friends, what if our sense of that, our sense that the punishment doesn't fit the crime, what if our sense of that says more about our lack of understanding of holiness and how great is the glory of God? What if our temptation to think this is overblown really reveals how little we think of the glory of God and how little we understand the depraved nature of wickedness, the evil of evilness, the sin of sinfulness. What if God's response here is just not overblown at all? What if his response here is in fact perfectly appropriate, spot on right, acceptable, good, and right. What if anything less than this would be a mar on the character of God and would be seen by heaven as God acting unjustly and even evilly to allow evil to flourish? So either, either God is unjust in doing this, or we don't really know what holiness is, and we don't really know how evil evil really is. And so again, we come to the Lord and say, Lord, change us by your word. 
that somehow in this we would see your glory, your majesty, your holiness. And we would love your glory and hate sin. reasons you may struggle with believing this and friend you will struggle if this is you is that you have decided right now that you're not going to repent yet you're not ready to repent you you've got some life you want to live some adventure you want to have some people you want to sleep with some fun first i'm gonna let me let me go have my son then i'll come back no worries i'll come back will you do you not know that the wine of god's wrath is poured full strength into the cup of his anger and would you add to that anger that anger of the one you're going to appeal to for mercy one day? You're going to first add to that anger. Are you so sure you will be able to turn? If you do not turn now, and I appeal to you to turn now, the day may come when you run out of time. The day will never come when you stop regretting today. Not ever. Not ever, not ever, the smoke of their torment goes up forever. Today is a day of repentance. We know not how many more there are. One last thing that I think makes it hard for us to believe this and important for us to consider it, and it's this, Christian I think this resonates in me, perhaps in you. We read this and somewhere in us we go, we deserve this. I just, deep within we know, we agree, we can't even argue. You're a fraction, fractionally aware of your own sin. You're aware, oh, Lord, I deserve and so then, how can it be that so many others are going to be cast into this lake while I stand safely on the shore? How can that be? So, for that, let me encourage you as we stand on that shore of that lake to look out across it. What a sight that is swirling with fire and sulfur and the suffering. But look to the far shore of that lake and you will see standing on it. Who, who stands on the shore of the lake? Verse 10 told us, it is the lamb surrounded by his angels standing 
in silent observance of this. He is called, in verse 10, the Lamb. He is not called King, though certainly He is King in this moment. He's not called Judge, though if ever He was Judge, it's right now. Not called Messiah, nor Son of God, nor Son of Man. He is the Lamb. He is the Lamb because He stands here as the one who was slain. He stands here as the one who was offered upon the altar. He stands here as the one who was sacrificed, who was our substitute. He stands here because he is the propitiation. There's a big word I just used. I'm going to explain it. You need to know it. It's in your Bible. It's not in this verse. It's in your Bible. It's an important word. Its importance is bigger than it is. Propitiation means this. Wrath remover. Wrath remover. To be the propitiation for our sins, but First John calls Jesus, he's the propitiation of our sins. To be the propitiation for our sins means he is the means by which God's wrath is removed from us for our sins. Because of Jesus, the wrath of God, the anger of God in that cup, which was ours, is taken from us forever because He is the propitiation for us. So understand this, saint. This is why we must look here. Look carefully at this lake. Consider the wine in that cup, again, undiluted. And understand this right here, this, is what your Savior took for you. This. This lake of judgment. This cup of anger. It is very familiar to the Lamb. The lake on which He stands on the shore, He Himself has once been plunged into. The cup which he is watching the wicked drink, he has once himself downed. Remember his voice in the garden? Remember? He got ready to go to the cross. As this moment, he's praying to the Father, all alone. He's in agony. Of course he's in agony. He says his soul is so heavy as unto death and with agony he cries out to the father father if possible let this cup pass from me There's no cup in the garden what, what cup this cup fearfully described here the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. That wine, that cup, was at the Savior's lips. And in that moment, oh, let this pass me. But not my will, but yours be done. And so he drank that cup on our behalf. He, in mere hours, 
drank an eternity. I think it took the strength of God to suffer that much. In your hours, he suffered an eternal punishment for all who believe. How fearsome was the wrath of God against the Lamb on that day. So why do we need this? Why do we need this passage? Why, do, why should we draw near to the edge of the lake? Why should we look at what is in this cup? It's in God's word. That should be enough. But also, that we may by this learn something of holiness, something of the glory of God. We learn to love and value his glory above all else, as do all who have seen it in heaven. That we would learn, too, of the sinfulness of sin, sinning against the glory of God and the evil that is sin, that we may learn to hate it. We draw near that we would be reminded, motivated to tell and speak warn not be silent for those that are headed in this direction but saints I find in here it's too much to call it happy there is something here where there's a depth of appreciation for what Christ has done that these verses offer to us we need these. You want to grow in your gratitude for what Christ has done for you? Then look and see what he's done for you. Because it is indescribable. How great is the Lamb? How great is the Lamb? When we see this terror... And no, there's only one who's ever walked forward willingly. He did so for us, for our sake. Worthy is the Lamb. So this is a this is a worship call right here. We would we would say this this makes this makes sense of the Book of Revelation in a certain way. Because the theme song of Revelation is found in, in Revelation chapter 5. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Indeed, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The one who went through this on behalf of his people is worthy of all things, worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory, worthy of all honor for all time. And so saints, let's gather around these difficult verses so that we can cultivate in our hearts a gratitude for the one who drank this cup on our behalf who endured this lake on our behalf he would say worthy are you king jesus so lord i simply pray 
that you would transform us by your word. Lord, you know, I've had to wrestle this week. Lord, would you forgive us for our silence instead of evangelism? Would you forgive us for we don't value your glory and your holiness? You change us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're doing that. That we would value your glory and holiness. And Lord, would you teach us to hate our sin, which you hate. And oh, may our lips never stop singing the praises of the one who took this on our behalf. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.